Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I am your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, we want to continue our discussion on the top 10 arguments for the resurrection of Christ, uh, composed by dear brother Bob Duco. Uh, Brother Duco, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Great, great, great. So last time we left off on number four, now we are on number five, the sudden explosion of Christianity proves that Jesus rose. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. Uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, in the last, our last discussion that I pointed out was that none of us were there 2,000 years ago. And so all we can do is look at the facts, look at what happened in history, and then determine what's the most logical thing to conclude happened or didn't happen. And, and so my argument is that, if we if we create two hypotheticals, either Jesus did rise from the dead or he didn't rise from the dead. If he did rise from the dead, what can we expect history to have recorded? And if he didn't rise from the dead, then what should history have recorded? My point is that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, <clears throat> there's no way in the world that Christianity would have exploded the way that it did right. in the first few decades. And the reason I say that is because, <clears throat> think about it, what this hinged on was Jesus rising from the dead. Jesus declared that he was God on earth in the flesh, the Savior of mankind, and that he was going to rise from the dead. So if he didn't, then that means he was proven a fraud, he was proven a fake, and I don't see any place in history, there is no figure ever in history that made claims that was demonstrably proven false to be in those claims, and then suddenly that developed into some kind of a religion because the person was proven false. So if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the disciples would have to, number one, be willing themselves to go out and proclaim that he rose from the dead, which is illogical because nobody's going to die for a lie, as we talked about last time. But then secondly, even if you want to believe that the disciples went out there and tried to push the idea of a resurrection, who are they going to convince that to? If Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, if he didn't actually appear to hundreds of people over several weeks, and he really didn't rise, how would anyone believe he actually rose from the dead. How would the disciples be able to convince anyone of that? Uh, the truth is that people would say, I don't believe you. He right. didn't rise from the dead. If he did, where is he? However, if he did rise from the dead, and he was seen by several hundred people over several weeks, then that means that there's a lot of eyewitnesses and could corroborate his resurrection. So therefore, whenever the disciples are speaking to various crowds, and they say, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there's skeptics in the crowd who go, oh, I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. 
what's going to happen is there's going to be at least a few people here or there that stand up and go, yeah, actually, he did rise from the dead. I was there. Well, you're kidding me. And then somebody else says, yeah, I was there, too. I remember I talked with him about 15 years ago after he rose from the dead. You did? <laughs> yeah, and then somebody else says, yeah, my dad was there. He told me that he saw Jesus and he saw him for a couple of weeks after he rose. There's enough eyewitnesses to corroborate his resurrection that would cause thousands upon thousands of people to mass convert to accepting Jesus Christ as the risen Lord. But if no one saw him alive, no, I'm sorry, there's no way in the world that you can convince me that anybody is going to believe that he rose from the dead, let alone mass conversions of as many as 3,000 in a day and tens of thousands over the course of just several years. It's just not logical unless you have enough eyewitnesses that can corroborate his resurrection. That's a good point. Uh, the next argument is number six, which is the extra biblical references supporting the resurrection, such as uh, the writings of Clement, uh, Ignatian, Justin Martyr, and whoever else you want to highlight. Uh, but that's number six, extra biblical reference. Can you use um, elaborate on that. Sure. Uh, sometimes people, as skeptics especially, they like to have an attitude that they won't accept anything that's in the Bible. They'll only take things outside of the Bible as evidence, which I got to make sure and stress that's bad logic because, as I said uh, last time we talked, just because something's recorded in the Bible, that doesn't mean that you dismiss it as history. It's still history, it's mm -hmm. still documented historical accounts from eyewitnesses, right. just because it's in a Bible that they call a religious book is irrelevant. It's right. still history. But uh, you do have a lot of accounts of people writing outside the Bible uh, about Jesus. For example, yeah, there's Clement, the elder of Rome. Uh, he wrote a letter to the Church of Corinth. There's Ignatius, the bishop of Antioch. He wrote a letter to the Tralians talking about Jesus Christ rising from the dead. Ignatius wrote another. These are all uh, within the first century. Ignatius wrote a letter to the Smyrnians. Justin Martyr wrote a letter to uh, uh, Emperor Antoninus about this. He also, in dialogue with Trypho, discussed Jesus' resurrection. But to me, what stands out are, are the people that are hostile to Christianity. Like, for example, uh, Pliny the Younger was the Roman governor of Bithynia in Asia Minor, from 61 A.D. to 112 A.D. And he wrote about Christians uh, worshiping Jesus Christ as a god. He said, quote, The Christians were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light, when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a god. And then he calls Christianity an excessive and contagious superstition. Well, if you think about it logically, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there's no way in the world that Christianity would be spreading like wildfire, right. and Jesus would be worshipped as a god within just a few decades, yet Pliny the Younger acknowledges that's the case. Cornelius Tacitus was considered the greatest historian of ancient Rome. Cornelius Tacitus lived in the first century AD. He was Rome's historian, and what he wrote is that uh, Jesus Christ was crucified and that after he was crucified, something happened. He doesn't say what, but something happened that caused Christianity to suddenly explode and spread like crazy, even all the way to Rome. But what Tacitus wrote, and again, this is Rome's historian, he wrote, quote, 
Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite torture on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, or Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out, not only in Judea, but now even in Rome. So you have Rome's first century historian saying, we killed Jesus, we thought we had this movement stopped, but then something happened, and it suddenly broke out and spread like wildfire, and now it's come all the way to Rome, right? My question for the skeptic is, what happened that caused Christianity to suddenly explode like crazy? The belief that Jesus was God and rose from the dead, what caused that belief to spread like wildfire right after Jesus was crucified if it's not the resurrection. So you have that. You have Flavius Josephus, who lived from 37 A.D. to 97 A.D. He was a Jewish and Roman historian. And Flavius Josephus wrote about Jesus, quote, At this time there was a wise man who was called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and die. And those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Now, Josephus isn't saying he personally believes Jesus rose from the dead, but this is Rome's official historian who's saying, who's, who's recording in history, here's what they're saying about Jesus. They're saying he rose from the dead. So why do you have Rome's historians like Josephus and Tacitus and Roman governors like Pliny the Younger and others, why do you have them recording that Jesus is being proclaimed to have been risen from the dead, that he's being worshipped as a god, that something's happened, that this movement of claiming he's God and he's risen from the dead has spread like crazy, and it's all started spreading like wildfire after we crucified him. Something happened. What was it? To me, it's common sense that if he really rose from the dead, it would make sense this would be an ancient, secular Roman history. But if he did not rise from the dead, there's no way in the world that Roman history would record their historians like Josephus and Tacitus saying these kinds of things, uh, their uh, Roman governor of Bithynia saying these kind of things. These are recorded in ancient history, in Roman history, nowhere in the Bible. Amen. Thank you so much for, the, for that uh, detailed history lesson, which is very pertinent to our discussion right now. Something did happen, and that's right. why there, like you said, there are traces uh, of of things we can look at through these manuscripts to buttress our point that these disciples saw a risen Savior. So my next right. uh, question is the um, skeptics, uh, all, uh, some skeptics argue that the story concerning the resurrection of Christ was a developed mythology. Uh, can you touch on that? Yeah, that's absolute nonsense because, I, and by the way, I should say, too, that I know when I give a lot of information like this, it's common for people to try to write stuff down as fast as they can, and it's like, oh, I'm trying to remember all this <laughs> stuff. And uh, let me just let everybody know, if they want to get the top ten proofs for the physical resurrection of Jesus, uh, they can just go to the website top10proofs.com. That's P-R-O-O-F-S. So top10proofs.com. 
and they'll see that right there is a top 10 proofs for the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm sharing with you today probably about 5% of all the information that's in there. Amen. So, but, uh, but about the mythology thing, no, here's where that comes from. People will claim, skeptics try to claim that uh, these ancient – uh, th- these ancient mythological characters, like uh, the Egyptian mythological characters, like Horus or Isis or Osiris or, or such, that somehow these served as inspiration for the Gospels. And the, the argument goes something like this: Well, if you look at ancient Egyptian mythology, you'll see that there were Jesus-like figures that were written about before. Jesus came along older than 2,000 years ago, and these Jesus-like figures did all the same stuff that we read Jesus doing in the Gospels, that uh, that they had 12 disciples and walked on water and was called the Lamb of God and was crucified and rose from the dead three days later, and uh, you see these kinds of claims on the Internet. Right. The problem is they're all false. It's Internet hoaxes. I challenge anyone, anyone, to go read all of the ancient writings that you want to of ancient Egyptian or Greek mythology. You can read about Horus, Isis, Osiris. You won't read anywhere that they did all the Jesus kind of stuff. Nowhere does it say they had 12 disciples. Nowhere does it say they taught in the temple at age 12. Nowhere does it say that they walked on water. Nowhere does it say that they were crucified or rose from the dead three days later or called themselves the Son of God or Lamb of God or Son of Man. Or That's all made up. It's right. not in the actual writings of mythology. Uh, and I have to tell you, drives me crazy because I remember the Bill Maher movie that came out a few years ago, Religious, right. mm-hmm. where Bill Maher was making fun of Christians. He had that on the screen in the movie theater, these claims, these false debunked claims that Horus was written about in ancient Egyptian mythology doing all of these Jesus kind of uh, like things. And I was in the movie theater watching this, and I was listening to people in the movie theater leaning over, whispering to each other, going, wow, that's amazing. I didn't know that. I'll tell you, it was all I could do to keep from standing up in the movie theater, turning around and saying, everybody see me after the movie. Right. Uh, uh, and by the way, by the way, we've invited, we've invited Bill Maher multiple times to come on my show and debate me. Uh-huh. He refu- He refuses. Just like we've divided, uh, invited Bill Nye, the science guy, after his debate with Ken Ham, right. we invited him seven times to come on my show and debate me on evolution, debate me on the age of the earth. Seven times, and seven times he said no. So what are you going to do? Right. Just keep on trying, I guess. You keep on trying, and That's right. all of us have a responsibility to defend the truth of the gospel. So if, if we all do our part, in learning these facts as we go out and share the gospel, uh, the Holy Spirit to do the rest in, in, in the conviction. But we, we all have to contribute and do our part. We want to thank Brother Bob Duco for joining us on Sound Reasoning. I wanted to continue the next three arguments, which are response to the further skepticisms that some uh, skeptics have regarding the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in other words, uh, we'll attempt to unpackage some of the last three arguments that Brother Duco talks about 
on his top 10 proofs for the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the next one is number eight, the hallucination theory. Now, those who prescribe to this theory argued that the disciples did not actually see the risen Christ. They argued that the disciples were hallucinating. So in their minds, the disciples actually had an actual mental episode, which led all of them to think that they saw a risen Jesus when they actually didn't. So how do we respond to this argument? Well, according to credible psychologists, there has never been a documented case where a group of people were hallucinating about the same event. In addition, the hallucination, in my opinion, is, is a red herring. They're just trying to throw us off. If by chance the disciples were hallucinating, this episode does not explain the empty tomb. Moreover, we know the tomb was likely empty because of the boldness of the disciples after the resurrection. So in other words, if you saw the tomb where Jesus was buried and you had a chance to go and see that his body was not there, what impact would that have on you? And that's what happened with the, uh, with the apostles. They saw the empty tomb, went back and told the others. If Jesus was still in the tomb, a simple way to quell the new movement would be for the Roman government to show them that Jesus was still actually in the tomb. But they couldn't do that because he wasn't in the tomb any longer. So to me, this hallucination theory by skeptics is a red herring and it holds no water. Argument number nine, the conspiracy theory is incorrect. And this theory suggests that the disciples were the one to steal the body of Jesus Christ. How could the disciples even steal the body in the first place? Uh, the body was encased in a tomb with a 24-hour watch by Roman guards trained to kill. The punishment for breaking a Roman grave seal or attempting to steal a body or overpowering a Roman soldier was death. So how did this timid, cowardly dis uh, group of disciples muster up the courage to try this? And it stated before, for what motive? That's a big risk for absolutely no payoff, says Brother Bob Duco. Uh, some will say maybe the guards were asleep. First, dereliction of duty brought death to a Roman soldier, so I doubt that they would have fallen asleep. And secondly, the stone covering the tomb weighed two tons and was rolled into a stone groove, which would have been fully flushed against the stone, opening up the grave. Think about how loud a two-ton stone scraping against a stone would be as several disciples tried to move it. No, Jesus actually did rise from the dead. And this is a quote from Brother Bob Duco. Now, my response to this uh, conspiracy theory is that it's highly unlikely that disciples stole the body because they initially didn't understand the scope of the resurrection. John 13 and 36. They didn't fully grasp that Jesus was going to die and then rise up physically as he intimated several times in the Gospels. Once Jesus was buried their immediate response wasn't to plan to steal his body, but their immediate response, according to the gospel, was fear. As a result, they scattered, according to Mark 14 and 50, and they all forsook him, forsook him and fled. That's what Mark 14 and 50 says. 
This narrative does not paint a picture of a group of people who would have or could have planned a way to steal the body of Christ under the watchful eye of the great Roman government. Lastly, the apostles were willing to die for their belief that Jesus rose up physically. Until their death and sometimes even at the risk of persecution, there's no record that any of the disciples denied the fact of a resurrected Christ. The next argument, which is the last argument, is the swoon theory. Jesus only appeared to be dead. They, uh, they argue he was unconscious and woke up later. The swoon theory is also incorrect. This view attempts to minimize the physical resurrection while explaining the eyewitness account of a post-resurrected Christ through a skeptical and naturalistic lens. Now, Jesus did physically die based on the evidence. The way he was positioned on the cross further substantiates the view that he actually died on the cross and did not simply pass out. The position he was in on the cross precluded him from breathing properly. He hung on the cross from 9 a.m. until sunset. Doctors conclude that Jesus most certainly would have died from shock due to the amount of blood loss and fluid loss. Moreover, John's gospel tells us that his side was pierced with a sword in order to ensure that he was indeed dead, John 19 and 34. Both the centurion and Pilate believed he was dead. He was, they were satisfied that Jesus was dead, according to the Gospels, uh, before giving his body to Joseph of um, Arimathea. Mark 15, 44 and 45 talks about this incident. Then numerous people witnessed the glorified and resurrected Christ. At least 500 people saw the risen Christ, 1 Corinthians 15 and 6. So these are the 10 arguments or top 10 arguments for the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ as argued by apologist Bob Duco uh, with my brief commentary as well. So we pray that you use this information to help you while you evangelize and while you talk to the skeptics in your life. Uh, it is our goal here, Sound Reasoning, to educate, to train, and empower Christians uh, for service. And again, please do for the truth what others do for a lie. And if the Holy Spirit puts on your heart, please consider uh, supporting Sound Reasoning Ministries with your kind and generous donations. Uh, again, we love you, and we pray that you continue to share the gospel and be ready to give each man a woman an answer, a reason for the hope that lies within you. Please do it with gentleness as well as with respect. May God continue to bless you. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. 
these EPs found their way into the hands of Chris Tomlin. And so we got this email out of the blue. Well, he was inviting us to go on this major arena tour of the United States. And at that time, we were like, well, we're not even really a band. Do we tell him we're not a band? Chris Llewellyn from REM Collective shares some of his life story on The Walk, a podcast for worshipers. Join us to hear conversations and devotionals from the artists of the church. Find The Walk on lifeaudio.com, worshipleader.com, or your favorite podcast platform.